welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Really excited about today because we've got, I've got two people on the line here. One person sitting right next to me is Nick. Hi, guys. (laughs) He's sitting in on one of these interviews, and you'll find out exactly why in a second. Today, we're interviewing Alison Davies from Oh My Musical Goodness. Now, when I asked her what her title was, I couldn't spell it, number one. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was a little bit of a qualifying moment where we had to actually find out what that means. So, I'm telling you that today we're talking about brains, anxiety, and the combo between the two and all the things that she knows about how to beat anxiety through, you know, I don't even know that answer because that's what we're finding out today. (laughs) Brain care. It's all about brains. Uh, So she is a neurologic, neurological music therapist. Ali, welcome to the podcast. And what the hell does that mean? Oh, thanks, guys. Okay, so I'm a neurologic music therapist. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Apologize. It's like when people call me a musical therapist, I always go, no, 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 it's music therapist. Um, so, okay, so I did six years at uni for this on this journey to becoming a neurologic music therapist. So, first, I studied a Bachelor of Music and Teaching. Um, so I've worked as an educator for quite some time and then I, I followed it up with a master of music therapy. Um, and now music therapy is, it's not just about music. It's really highly involved. It's all master levels, psych, um, subjects and real lots of neurology and biology and, um, heaps more than just actually music is quite a small part of it. Um, and then I went on to train with the Academy of Neurologic Music Therapy last year. So that's how I got where I am. <laughs> wow. So I've already got a quick question. So you've over, you've obviously studied therapy and music as a subset of therapy. Is that how we look at it? Well, I studied music first. So the prerequisite to even become a music therapy student is to have a certain level in music in terms of your ability to do it and your confidence with it and your theory and understanding behind it. So by the time you get into the Master of Music Therapy, it's really all about um, sort of clinical and community-based therapeutic settings and psychology and how you apply music clinically and therapeutically to create therapeutic change. <laughs> Did that make sense? <laughs> Capish. So, Nick, can you just tell everyone why you're sitting in on this today and have an interest in the topic? Um, Because I love music. (laughs) Um, I write songs, plus I'm also seeing a therapist because I suffer from anxiety. And this is something that um, has been going on for a long time. And and we're now seeing even sometimes a little bit of anxious behavior in our son. So, and you know what? I don't reckon that there's anybody who doesn't have those anxious moments. And it seems like a bit of an epidemic at the moment, like the way that we're living our life. And this is what I love so much about what you share is it's always kind of like, we're expecting too much from our poor brains. And you know, this is this is not sustainable the way that we live our lives. And so I just, I love all your videos. I love everything that you share. I've bought your um, products because I just love knowing this stuff. So can we first of all start by asking you how, what would you define anxiety as? Okay. Um, this is the perfect place to start because most of us have a bit of a misconception about anxiety. Um, And I love the way, Nick, that you said you suffer from anxiety as opposed to saying you have anxiety because I think a lot of us think that anxiety is some kind of condition or like a pathological, something that's wrong with us that we need to fix. In fact, most of us experience anxiety or feel anxiety, but most of us don't have an anxiety disorder, for example. So, People with post-traumatic stress disorder or a phobia or an attachment disorder, um, 
they are specific anxiety disorders. Um, but what most of us experience is like the physiological feeling of anxiety. So we feel it in our body. It's things that our brain is making us feel. And it's not because there is a disease or a condition. It's because our brain just isn't coping in that moment. Um, so the things that we feel are our heart rate rises, our respiratory rate rises, too intense. Like, you know, sometimes we know we've all heard about anxiety attacks. It can feel like a heart attack. It's it's not to be um, minimalised. It's all serious, but it is just a feeling that our brain is making us feel. So um, all the oxygen and the oxygenated blood comes away from our, um, like, it goes to our extremities, so our hands, our feet, our faces might go red. We get exceptional strength when we're anxious because all the blood is coming to our extremities, kicking us into fight or flight so we're ready to save our lives um, because that's what anxiety sort of when we feel ang anxious in our body, we get prepared um, to go into fight or flight. Yeah. <laughs> so. So that type of anxiety, um, separate to the more pathological anxiety conditions that you were referring to, they're they're a they're a normal mode or state of yep. the human being on occasion. Totally normal, and right. and you, we need that. We need anxiety because anxiety tells us that we're not coping with something, and in anxiety is typically there to get us ready for saving our lives. So um, our, our brain tells us that there's a risk um, and it puts our body into a heightened state of anxiety and then we kick into fight or flight, which is when we're ready to save our life because we believe that some, there's something happening in our environment that is um, very dangerous. For most of us, there isn't actually that happening. It's just our brain telling us that because our brain isn't coping. But we need that because that's when we do... Uh, my favourite example of this is when Mick Fanning a few years ago in that surf comp had a shark nibbling at his ankle and he was able to swim away from that because his fight or flight response, you know, it gave him extra strength. Um, he was able to swim away, he was able to tap into that adrenaline um, and he was able to save his life. That is when you need anxiety. Uh, what we don't need is the anxiety that's happening every day, all day, day after day. But it is a very, very important part of our condition that we need. Um, and to feel anxious on and off in response to things that might seem minor to other people, um, that's normal as well. So it is a normal part of our condition. Right. Okay. Um, I think I'm following. So just one more follow-up question just, just to <laughs> yeah, see no, if I'm, just to see if I'm yep. on the right track. Because it's, a, because it's a state or a mode getting us ready to um, perform some feat of adrenaline. Well, what yep. I'm confused about is uh, you can attach different emotions to that feeling. So I might attach a feeling of fear or a feeling of um, complete and utter, utter sadness. But on other occasions, I might actually pay for the thrill to be anxious. Like I'm going to pay to go on a roller coaster. Uh, yep. And then that state, which is still an anxious state, is a, a state of pleasure. And that's really yep. weird to me. Yes, and um, this is something I've been actually reading a lot about recently. <laughs> so good, good question. Um, our we respond, our bodies respond that way, whether it's a really positive, whether it's a really exciting, whether it's a really terrifying sort of feeling, no matter what it is. Um, and I've been reading about post-traumatic stress disorder and how people actually um, seek that traumatic experience again and again because um, they are attached to that feeling. Um, even though that is what has caused the anxiety disorder in the beginning. Um, so it's very, very, oh, there's so many layers. It's We would really need to talk about this for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just have a qualifying question before we go into um, talking about what we can actually do for ourselves when we find ourselves in those anxious moments and it's not, and it's maybe being sustained and it's not all that, it's not all that, it's not feeling good for us. My question is, because what you've just described with anxiety is what I hear a lot about stress. So yeah. what is the difference between anxiety and stress? 
Well, look, I think they're probably fairly similar, and I think mostly in just conversation we're, in, we're using the words interchangeably. So yeah, okay. whether we talk about it as stress or anxiety, it's probably the same thing. But I would I would like to um, qualify that by saying anxiety is more the feeling that we're experiencing in our body, and stress is more like the trigger. So if it's the homework, if it's the bully at school, if it's the relationship problems, if it's the bills, if it's work, whatever it is, that's a trigger. And and it's also very important to note that those things, the bills, the relationship, the bully, they are not the problem. The problem is always that the brain is not coping. And if you can just try and forget about the trigger and focus on the brain so that you can help the brain cope, then it's going to go through its normal motions and it's going to get rid of that anxiety. It's going to reduce it. You're going to be less prone to experiencing it. Um, and by by stop focusing on the, the issues or the triggers, it's so much easier to deal with because once we try and work out how to get around the bills or the relationship problem, we're so overwhelmed. We don't even notice where to start working on that stuff. Oh, God. So yes, so think, yes. Oh my gosh, this is making so much sense. Okay, so tell us what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in our brain? How do we help our little brainies? Yes, because the thing is, it's actually so much more simple than we think. We get caught up because the feeling of anxiety is so big that we just get so lost. Um, but the ways to um, support our brain to try and manage our anxiety it's literally so simple um so I talk about two things I talk about well I talk about brain care right and and to me that's two things it's input it's the things we're giving our brain and I talk about sensory management which is how we manage our environments so we're not overloading our brain with too much sensory information mm-hmm. so um, together, these two with these two categories, if we really focused on them, we would be supporting our brains uh, to no end. Um, and when our brains are supported, uh, they feel happy. When our brains feel happy, they don't sort of get chaotic and they don't sort of trigger that anxiety response in our body. Right. So you're saying the pills that I'm being made to pop by my therapist that put me to sleep by seven o'clock every night are probably not the best choice. <laughs> no, 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 no. I definitely am not going to comment on any medication. <laughs> I would definitely say that, um, and I mean, I think all treatments have their place. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. So understanding the medication journey, understanding the brain care journey, it's all very important. Um, but I would say that any other treatment modality that you're doing should be used in conjunction with this nice, easy brain care stuff because this is going to make an enormous difference. <sighs> Tell us the brain care stuff, Ali. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so let's start with sensory management. Sensory, our environment is full of stuff that we can see, hear, feel, like stuff that we can taste and the smells and there's stuff moving and there's things going on all around us all the time. Now, whether we're aware of all of these things or not, all of this sensory information does come to our brain and our brain does have to integrate it. I like to think of the brain um, as like an email account. So every little bit of sensory information in our environment comes to the inbox, which is the brain, <laughs> and then the brain has to go through every single message and either delete it or file it away or archive it or action it. And when it actions it, it sends a message to a different part of your brain telling you what to do. But if it's just some annoying little thing like most of the sensory information is that's around us, that's not important to our survival, the brain will just delete it. Now, 100 years ago, if you sort of close your eyes and picture a lounge room, a bedroom, a classroom and a playroom 100 years ago, and then you picture a bedroom, a lounge room, a playroom, and a classroom in 2017, the amount of stuff is monumentally ridiculous. Our brains cannot cope with the amount of stuff in our environments on no level. Basically, we are all experiencing anxiety because of this. We are all overloaded. Totally agree. Lisa and <laughs> yeah. I just watched a documentary on the weekend about minimalism and that was a breath of fresh air because I'm sick of 
walking through my house, kicking the toys and yes. um, picking clothes up off the, the <laughs> off the floor. But, okay, so let me tell you these things. I, I really like a clean house. Like I like things to be clean. But clutter hasn't really bothered me that much as much as it's bothered Nick. Like Nick's, Nick likes clear spaces, whereas I'm like, oh, I'll get to that shelf one day. And I just literally don't see it. But you're telling me I am seeing it. Like my brain is seeing it and it's well, just deleting yeah. it. So yeah. I'm like a good deleter. Yeah, like I'm prone to think that most of us are feeling anxiety and it's sort of our normal so we don't realise it anymore because our brain's only mission in life since the beginning of time has been for our survival. So forever, brains have evolved so that they're catering for our needs for survival. But sensory overload hasn't been a thing until sort of 50 or so years ago when we started getting stuff. And now we've got all this stuff. Our brain hasn't had time to evolve in 50 years to a point where it can literally integrate all this sensory information. It just It's just far too much for our brain to deal with. Maybe in a thousand years' time after our brain has had time to evolve to our, our sort of modern environment, these things will become easier. But no, this, this is, it's really important, minimising and going through all the senses. Think, what can I see in here? And what is in my visual field that I might be able to remove or change? Um, this is enormous in classrooms because cl- mm. schools have 30,000 yeah. artworks on every wall uh, and that's to try and make children feel empowered. Um, they started this self-empowerment movement in the 90s in schools and the research now shows that that didn't actually change children's sense of self-esteem. But what they did was start putting all their artwork up and displaying everything and um, it's schools started to become a very sensory overloaded environment. So fascinating. You know, I just, I've just binge-watched Anne with an E on Netflix Um, Anna Green Gables, huge fan. And, um, and I'm just, I'm thinking about their house and I'm thinking about (laughs) their classroom and even just walking to school through a field as opposed to driving to school on a busy street with signs everywhere with, you know, like uh, even just that process of getting to Mm. school is a sensory overload. Yeah, Definitely. In, instead of just trying to work out what to wear. Yeah, you know, exactly. Anne had two dresses. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, so I've just binge-watched it too and I was thinking about Marilla and Matthew's house. It was just, and I, I just as I was watching it. it, I was thinking of it from a sensory point of view and just going, oh, my gosh, no wonder back then people weren't being diagnosed with things that we correlate with sensory problems like autism and ADHD and stuff like that because our brains weren't having to cope with stuff that it wasn't designed for. Um, and that brings me to my next point. There's this thing called the um, uh, paradox of choice. So we want lots of choices. And I gave this example to someone the other day. If we go to a restaurant with 20 amazing things on the menu, we want that because it makes us feel great and, like, we've chosen a great restaurant and we're getting, you know, we're so lucky that we're getting all these these amazing options But our brain is going to freak out because our brain always wants to make the right decision. And so all of a sudden, even though we feel really great because we're in this top-notch restaurant, our brain will start to make us feel anxious because it doesn't know what to choose. Whereas if we went to a diner with two things on the menu, they might both be crap choices, but we're just going to pick one easily and we're not going to have this anxious, physiological anxious response because we only have two choices. And this ties in with the clutter. When our kids have 30,000 toys or we've got a whole wardrobe full of grey tops or, you know, so many choices in every single thing in our environment, just even choosing, just deciding what to wear each day and what, what to eat, what to cook for dinner, I'm sure you, you and your small steppers are all over that. Um, there are just the paradox of choice is absolutely doing us in and our, our brains just can't cope with all the stuff. I absolutely agree with you. I remember seeing a TED talk, a philosopher was talking about going into a jeans shop to buy a new pair of jeans 
and uh, the lady gave him 10 different pairs, all different slices and dices of denim. And she goes, which one do you want? He goes, I just want a pair just like my old pair, right? Yeah. And, and he was just comatosed with um, anxiety and decision. Yeah. 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 So I, I understand. Our Western culture, we – this is what we we thrive on. We want the choice, and and we've got the choice, and we're so lucky. And we um, but but our culture is absolutely overloaded. And you look at some of the other cultures in the world where they're not flooded with choices and all these things that we are. Um, and anxiety isn't so much doesn't appear to be so much of a um, driving issue in their communities. But how are we going to get our way through this, considering the the choice? in society is directly tied to, um, you know, the consumer economy and jobs growth and all that sort of stuff. Totally. I mean, we can't drop out of society, so we have to just learn to, I mean, we can, I guess, (laughs) but um, for most of us, we have to learn how to manage our own needs within this society. So in terms of sensory management, I just say, look around each space that you're spending your time in and what changes can you make in each space? And if you can make a few what about the noises? Can you? This is a big one. We can turn down our devices and we cannot have the TV and the radios just going in the background because that that isn't the sort of input that our brain likes. That's just more like noise pollution. That stuff doesn't help anything. Um, can we reduce the things that we can see? Um, can smells, if we're in a place with like a kitchen or somewhere where there's lots of different smells and too much to deal with can we over can we override that with just one oil diffusing or something like that so that all of a sudden where we can smell all these different things in this space it's overrided just by one single kind of um outlet for information that our brain's getting um so that that sensory management i mean there's lots to it and i could talk about this for days but it literally is as simple as it seems the best starting place literally is to just go around all the rooms that you're in and work out how you can minimalise it. It doesn't mean you have to paint everything white, <laughs> um, but reduce the amount of colours in there or make a spe- instead of having everything all over the place, make a special place for it. That type, you know, the things that we sort of aspire to but we're just not very good at. <laughs> um, yeah. We just need to make more of an effort, yeah. Yeah. It, I used to tell myself I, I wanted... Um, that lived-in feel, yeah. <laughs> that cl- that kind of cluttered, I guess, um, felt homely to me. Like I've never been a great putter or a wearer, um, sure. but I do love a clear space now. Uh, yeah. I have noticed that I can work better, I can think clearer, my movements through the day are easier or like even just waking up and having a clear kitchen bench, a clean kitchen is like a non-negotiable for me so I can just go in there, do the thinking and the doing without anything extra in my way. So that's just so interesting that that all comes down to actually helping reduce anxiety. And yeah, and I yeah, and, and that's interesting because it can change over time. In times in your life where you're less stressed, mainly before you have children, you can deal with a bit more clutter in your life. <laughs> Once you've got children in your life, it is almost impossible to manage your sensory environment. You can't keep your children quiet. You can't stop them from moving and touching you. It's impossible. So you need to try and find other ways of doing that and, and your environment is a good way. But it by no means is this easy, like, I can tell you all this stuff, but I'm still a cluttered mess. I was having anxiety attacks three weeks ago and I go through these stages too. We all do. This isn't something that um, some people are experiencing and some aren't. We all struggle with it and we all find it difficult and we don't talk about it enough um, as a normal thing that's happening to all of us. We think it's something like a pathological or a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's sensory management. Do you want me to move on to yeah. brain input? <laughs> yeah, yeah, brain input. Let's do it. So input is the stuff that you give your brain that it loves. So sensory management is about making it easier on your brain so it doesn't have so much to deal with. Input is about exposing your brain to stuff that it likes. When your brain, when you give stuff to your brain that it likes, it rewards you with dopamine. Dopamine is like a reward. So 
Um, you go to a concert, you have some really good sex or a really great meal or some chocolate, your brain loves that stuff and it's going to reward you with a little drop of dopamine and that feel makes you feel all warm and fuzzy in your body, makes you feel great. Um, the more often we get dopamine in relation to the things that we're doing, the more that neural pathway telling us to do that thing becomes stronger because our, we love that good fuzzy feeling we get in our body. So whenever we do something that makes our brain happy, uh, we're more likely to do it again. There's a motivation factor there. Incidentally, this is how addictions and all sorts of negative pathways can spiral as well, but we can certainly tap into that for positive changes as well. Um, so, and literally these things we can do to give our brains that make us happy are really easy. So number one, Nick will love this. Listen to music that you like. It's as simple easy. as that. Yep. So the brain um, listening to or making or experiencing music activates more parts of the brain simultaneously than any other thing you could be doing. What? Like, Music is one of the three mother tongues of the brain. Like it's one of our languages. We should be uh, using music in every element of how we educate and how we do everything because music activates both hemispheres. Music's made up of so many different parts. It's rhythm, it's melody, it's time, it's space, it's uh, it. Um, triggers emotion it's mm-hmm. um it's just got so many working parts to it mm-hmm. that when you're listening to it it activates so many parts of your brain activating all of your brain isn't the same as overloading it when you're overloading it you're giving it too much that it can deal with um but when you're activating it you're actually stimulating your brain to work at its best so it can actually deal with the overload and all the other things better so our our goal is to activate as many parts of the brain as we can so that all our brain functioning happens easier and it's not as tiring and it's not as difficult and stressful for us. Mm. That so, is so, so interesting. So it's no coincidence that when I'm feeling a little bit anxious, the best medicine for me is just to play some songs on my guitar. Oh, absolutely. it's And it's... It's not even just a feel-good wellness thing. This is science, guys. This is neuroscience. It's like serious shit. This so, is um, this is what you should be doing. Yes. I mean, I being mar- like I, we've been together since what end of two thousand and three or something, and so uh, there's been a lot of years of watching this person who is extremely musical use music as therapy without even knowing it. Like even last, like during um, witching hour, he'll just sometimes take himself off and go and play guitar and I'll be like, get out of here with me. (laughs) What do you think you're doing? (laughs) And But this is just like a quite natural way of calming yourself right down. Absolutely. And it's like it's instinctual, Ali. Like it's not something that he would like that we were like, Okay, a music therapist once said um, mm. the best way to blah, blah. Yeah. But it's even um, with the kids how things can be kind of a little bit amped. Everyone can be feeling a little bit crazy and we'll have a dance party. Yeah. And music is the thing that we put on. <laughs> like, you know, we would have as many nights having a dance party as we would reading books before bed because it just diffuses everything. And they just, they have something to concentrate on. They get the good feels. They're dancing around and there's no fights. There's no anything. It's just good times. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, and that's that's um, even better than just listening to it is experiencing it and being with it and dancing along and expressing because then also you've given them an outlet for expression there. So they're dancing like crazy kids, which is what we all like to do, how we all like to dance. Um And it's also giving them movement. So the more they move, so, oh, I don't know if I should start on this topic because this is another enormous one, but I'll try and just, (laughs) I'll try and tell you in a very simple way. When you um, do stuff like exercising and dancing and moving and, and sort of strong movements with your body, you're actually giving yourself the kind of sensory input that can block out a lot of the annoying sensory stuff in our environment. So if you're dancing or jumping on the couch, for example, 
if you have 10 minutes of jumping on the couch, um, the sensory input that you are giving your brain from doing that overrides all the, the overload, the stuff that you're seeing and the stuff that's in your environment. Because when we jump on the couch or the trampoline or have a dance party, we're giving ourselves something called proprioceptive input and our brain absolutely loves proprioceptive input. It's the same as what we're doing when we go to the gym, when we go for a run, when we do stretching or yoga. And so our brain focuses on that sensory input and it it, it just can ignore the rest of it and it actually reduces the overload. So doing any kind of stretching or um playing, jumping, anything in a playground, having a dance party is a perfect example of that. Um, So it's actually going to help reduce the sensory overload and it's giving your brain input that it loves. So they're going to be getting dopamine and they're going to be feeling good and it's just, it's all the good things. That scenario is absolute gold. That's very interesting because when I'm at the gym, say I'm listening to music and I'm running on the treadmill, there is definitely a, a a focus there that I'm not used to just at home dealing with the kids. But it also helps me focus on other problems in my life or other challenges. Like I'm, I'm able to think clearer while I'm doing it. So I, I find that really interesting what you're saying. Yeah. One of the, one of the feelings that comes with the feeling of anxiety is brain fog. I don't think there's any better way to describe that. We, I think we all know what brain fog is. Oh, yeah. So when you're doing something that the brain likes, um, you're lifting the brain fog. And and this is another thing the brain likes, oxygen, as simple as that. <laughs> when we breathe, when we're at the gym or when we're doing breathing, uh, breathing exercises, controlled breathing, we are bringing so much oxygen into our lungs. We have more potential there for oxygenation of blood. That's what happens when the oxygen comes into your lungs. It diffuses into your bloodstream. And then you're bringing oxygenated blood to your brain. And that's going to make the brain work better. Uh, we all feel better when we've had a, you know, some fresh air. That's what literally what is happening with the brain. Oxygenated blood is going to help all the neurotransmission and all the different brain functions happen at their best. So when you're at the gym, you start get coming up with solutions and you start thinking clearly and all this other stuff comes to you and it's it's a really yeah totally it's a really great um <laughs> place to be if you need some um brain fog free time yes <laughs> my brain fog free time is the shower because that's when i get all my best ideas yep don't know Definitely. i'm not maybe i'm and- not really doing deep breathing but it's just probably because there's nothing <laughs> else there to look if, at if you have a um a hot shower that and that is also providing you some really strong tactile sensory input so tactile sent the tact the sense of tactile is the stuff we touch right that we can feel on our skin so when you are having a hot shower um because that is a really strong um set of sensory information that is coming to your brain that will override the other sensory overload that's going on for you so it's the same thing yeah. it's just like it is so the the solutions are so simple and i could talk about them for days uh because there's so many of them but they really are literally these simple things that we don't think about like having a shower or having a hot bath mm. and another thing is if you turn the tap the hot tap off at the end of your shower and give yourselves, you know, 20 seconds of freezing cold, that activates this place in your body called the vagus nerve, which runs between your gut and your brain. And basically the vagus nerve is your absolute best um, place or your best functioning place for counteracting anxiety. So we want to do anything we can to activate the vagus nerve and bursts of cold activate the vagus nerve. So just having a tiny bit of a cold shower each day is going to manage your anxiety so it's either less or it's not as prevalent or you don't notice notice it as much. Mm. Uh, Yeah. My therapist said when I'm going through one of those periods, I should stick uh, an ice block under my armpit and I think that is maybe what she's trying to get me to do is to activate that nerve and just reset yeah. my senses yeah mm, Could, interesting definitely. We, we i um i recommend to lots of people to give children ice to crunch on if you give your kids a cup of ice same thing because i mean kids are going to like 
crunching on ice because it's fun. Um, plus it's water, so, you know, it's good for them. Um, but also that can help um, uh, it, it can help your brain focus on something really cold so it sort of forgets about all the other sensory overload. Um, and it can help activate the vagus nerve. So there's so many really cool things there that it can do just from chewing on a block of ice. That is just freaking crazy. Mm. I am um, okay. So I mean, this is just so fascinating. I just you're so on the because it's so gentle and it makes sense. But yeah. um, I am wondering about when you get into those moments, you've kind of found yourself there, and you know the things that you know, reducing our sensory um, overload and those good inputs and we've been kind of, you know, doing those things but we found ourselves, we're in that anxious moment. Yeah. What do you kind of recommend for those acute? Okay. It's so much harder to focus on this stuff when you're in the moment because part of the part of what's happening when you're experiencing anxiety is that your brain just sort of doesn't function as well. So your executive functioning um, becomes weaker. That means it's harder to make sense of or reason or decide or think of what you should do to get out of this. And it's so much easier just to be in that space and not help yourself to get out of it. Um, so the most important thing in the management of anything, um, I've got a, I've done a webinar on the cycle of a meltdown and I talk about how we should manage it before it ever happens, just in the day-to-day -day stuff and during the meltdown there's not a lot you can do. Well, that cycle sort of goes for anything. It's very similar with anxiety. You really need to manage this in just the day-to-day-to-day, -to -day -to -day, every day, doing all these little things as part of your daily routine. Um, during the actual anxiety attack or moments of acute anxiety, um, if you can think of these things, go ahead and do them. But be gentle on yourself <laughs> because it's so much harder to put any of these in place during the anxiety. Um, the other thing I try and remind people is never, ever, ever, well, try as best you can never, ever to be anxious about being anxious because that just compounds the whole thing. Your brain fog and, and all those things are not going to lift if you're anxious about being anxious. Once you realise that, Feeling anxiety is a normal thing for our body to feel and we're all going to experience it on and off all the time. Um, and when you really understand that, it can sort of help you not to get so worried about it when you are experiencing it and, and reducing that element of worry um, makes things so much easier for your brain, you know, for the management stage. So it's really, really important not to worry about anxiety too much and just to go about doing the, these things that support our brain or brain care during just the everyday routine. Oh, yes. Um, I just, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel anxious about all the things I have to do about reducing my anxiety now. Only joking. Um, you know that I'm all about um, small steps. And so what I want to just do now to recap because there's so much that you share and there's so many resources now that you're creating for people to help them and, you know, especially around kids and stuff and you two are like all the things that you do. But let's just recap before we send people away and tell them where to find you. Um, yeah. Recap the, the two main things that we can do to help ourselves with anxiety are brain care and sensory management. So just... Well or brain yeah. inputs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Brain care is um, what I've been talking about this whole time, okay? okay so the, okay. the whole thing is brain care. Yes. Yeah, there's okay. two main elements of brain care, and that is sensory management yeah. mm -hmm. and input. Input, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so sensory management, it's about um, simplifying our spaces, reducing noises, like thinking about what we can pull away from our environment to so our brain isn't just on constant yep. alert and overwhelm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's literally just decluttering, decluttering our environment. Yep. Oh, this is so good because I'm going to be having a um, a decluttering challenge coming up in July. Awesome. Yeah. So I am going to be pulling some of this stuff in because I feel this and Nick and I are feeling this as a family and I feel like it as a, a woman in the world managing young children, managing a business, managing a household, and there's little things that I've been doing to just help myself feel less cluttered 
and overwhelmed. And it's not even always about what I can see, but, you know, like turning off notifications on my phone, little game yeah. changer, because yes. it's just that comp, that's just that constant distraction and pulling me in different directions. And, um, you know, as you know, in the, in the um, membership this month, we're doing a sleep challenge and it's like, let's just try not having our phones next to our beds because just that, just that cluttering up of our, of our mind. And anyway, okay. So this is really good. And then, and then it's the inputs. So just. So it's giving your brain things, simple things that it likes, like oxygen. So breathing, listening to music that you like, um, stretching and moving and exercising. Um, I wanted to say before, when Nick talked about playing the guitar, doing things with both hands is really good. So any kind of craft, when you, when you use both hands, you're activating both hemispheres of the brain, which helps brain functioning, things that are happening on both sides of the brain. So anything that's like playing like knitting or macrame or gardening or playing your guitar, anything using your hands is really good. Lego for kids. Lego, yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, listening to music, breathing, do we have time for me to tell you one more technique? Yes, tell us. <laughs> so our body has this amazing ability to um, fall in sync with music. So if we listen to music that's roughly about 60 beats per minute, which is like each beat is one second apart, that's the resting heart rate. If you can listen to music that's around about that tempo, your heart rate and breathing rate can reduce if, if it's heightened it's heightened when we're anxious it can reduce to this nice slow resting heart rate and so just listening to music that is that tempo or that speed can actually stop this anxiety in its tracks and if that is too hard because I always say to people if if you're like working with a child or a person who's really angry and they're smashing holes in walls, you're not going to come in with the relaxation music. So that's a really bad idea. Um, so there's this other thing our body does called entrainment. So if you're in a really heightened state, Nick, and your your heart rate's up and you're emotional and, and it's all very intense, listen to some music that is intense that matches that. And then you could make a little playlist, like six songs, and then the next song is a little bit less intense and the next song is just a bit slower and a bit calmer and your body sort of falls in sync with that and reduces along with the music. So by the time you get to the fifth or sixth song, then you're listening to something that's calm. It might be the resting heart rate um, and then your body falls in sync with that and that is a really great way of reducing anxiety when you're in it. Mm. So why can't you go from um, 120 beats per minute straight down to, uh, you know, a 60 beat per minute when you're in Well, you've got, to be, you've got to be connecting. You've got to sort of enjoy it. That's why I say listen to music that you like. It would be similar to listening to music that you don't like. It's not going to work for you. So if you're in a heightened state and you're really either angry or grieving or mm. suffering some kind of serious intense feeling um and somebody puts on some calming music for you you're more likely just to you know want to smash them (laughs) you have to work yeah listen to your body and work with it so if you play some fast or loud or intense kind of music that matches where you are in that moment you're going to connect with the music and engage in the the actual listening of the music uh, more than if i was to play something very calm for you in that stage does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah, does. Totally. Very yeah. Much. Um, to, for someone who has abs- absolutely no idea about music, when you say a beat per oh, 60 beats per minute, can you just give me an example of a song that that would be? Oh, and for anyone oh, else who's listening, or like, what, what does that, is that like classical music that you're saying? Well, or is it, you know, like Fleetwood to, Mac? To chugga chugga big red car. Is that? It's the only one I know. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't even know where to start giving an example because I don't think I've actually gone through and um, 
timed them. But if you, any music that you like, if you listen to it and then just look at the second hand on your clock, if we still have clocks, most of us use phones, but <laughs> What's get that clock? little app out that ticks past each second. Yeah. And if the beat is happening on the second time, that means that it's 60 beats per minute. But basically like anything that's kind of calm, we can sort of guess how long a second is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can sort of estimate that. Any music that sort of fits that beat or that instinctively you feel it's nice calming kind of music, yeah. just go with that. You don't have to, it's not, a, it's not really a science. It doesn't have to be exact. Yeah, yeah, okay, got it. I've got it. Um, I yep. just, I have no musical knowledge <laughs> whatsoever. So you're talking a different language to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yes. Okay, cool. This has been freaking amazing. And I know that it's going to be so valuable for people, as is all your other information. So can you just talk a little bit about the work that you do do and where people can find you? Yeah. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm travelling around Australia running two-day workshops and I'm talking about this stuff for like two days. <laughs> um, but we go into a lot more detail and a lot more areas. And it's sort of focused all on behaviour management. But what I mean by behaviour management is just understanding how the brain works so that you can support the brain because behaviours, which are anxiety or what we would call misbehaving in children, that's all just a product of the brain not coping. So most of the problems that we're seeing at school or in families um, with meltdowns and with emotional dysregulation, which means just flying off the handle for no apparent reason, all those kinds of things, they're not really behavioural issues. It's all to do with the brain. So what I'm doing is telling people about how the brain works and helping them understand that with good brain care, so giving your brain what it likes and reducing or managing your sensory environment, you can help the brain cope and you can sort out almost all of the the problems that are coming from this. Um, so that workshop is happening. Um, I've got a couple left, I think, Newcastle, Coffs Harbour, Hobart and Burnie in Tasmania. They're all happening this year um, and there's details on those at my website, which is ohmymusicalgoodness.com. Um, and I've also got a few webinars and, and products up there that I've developed to um, teach and help people cope with meltdowns and um, emotional regulation problems and those kinds of things. They're all on my website at ohmymusicalgoodness.com. Awesome. I just think you're yeah. a national treasure and the oh. information that you're <laughs> sharing, like it's just it's it feels really cutting edge, but it's actually uh, probably just what we have forgotten in this modern world. Traditionally, yeah. this is just how life was. And yeah. so, and it, and it kind of also, you know, we talk about overwhelm all the time in small steps and people just like, there's too much on, on, or, you know, like even, even with food, I'm just called so much more to simplify it. Like not all, we don't need all the fancy ingredients. You don't need all the fancy kitchen gadgets and bits and pieces. You can actually just eat food really simply based on a cup, you know, standard staple ingredients in your pantry and seasonal produce. Like let's not overcomplicate something else for ourselves at the moment because... Yeah. You know, and then, and I'm just thinking about our our children as well. You know what they're what they're called to to cope with, and oh, I just yeah. I think that this is just fascinating. If we can't cope with it, and we understand this stuff, can you imagine what it's like for our children who don't can't handle this stuff themselves? Like we have to teach them how to manage anxiety. Mm. We can listen to this podcast and get a really good idea, and go forth with some new tools and help our own lives. Um, become easier but children can't do that they need someone to guide them and that's why it's it's manifesting in children behaviorally because there's no other way for it to um sort of manifest um oh. but you're right it's just this is like how it's always been until 50 years ago or whenever it changed it's largely with internet <laughs> and facebook and all of these kinds of things that are taking up so much of our brain space um we just we just stopped being simple and started being complicated. Um, and I think so many of us understand that 
we need to simplify, but the simple way is not a dominant um, sort of pathway in our brain anymore. So what we need to do is practice things doing it the simple way. We need to practice over and over doing simple meals with a few ingredients, whipping up an omelette or cooking soup, you know, throwing some stuff in some water and boiling it up. If we can practice those things more and more, they those um, neural pathways in our brain that tell us we can do it that easily become stronger and we start to really believe that it is this easy. Um, it's a it's a mind frame. It's about doing it over and over so that our brain starts to tell us that, hey, this is easy. This isn't, you know, a problem. Let's just boil up some soup. And, and the stressful, overwhelming sort of neural pathways become weaker and, and then eventually nick off and we don't see them anymore. Nice. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. That is the goal. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all this today. <laughs> My pleasure. It's been Thank wonderful. For- yeah. Thanks, Nick. It's been great to talk to you both. We appreciate you. And um, I'm going to flush all my uh, tablets down the toilet and <laughs> just do everything you've <laughs> Don't anyone flush, flush any tablets based on my advice. Oh, I have to just do a disclaimer now. I think I know. This, this is why it's so awesome to give someone like you with your knowledge uh, a platform and I know that you're – you know, this sounds a bit corny, but your star, yeah, star is, is only rising because now is the time for this information to be shared. You know, now is the time that so many of us are realising that the way we live our lives is not conducive to physical or mental health. So I am really thrilled to be able to share with um, with everyone, with all the listeners, your insights and information. So thank you, Ali. Thank you, Lisa. And can I just say, I've put together a resource library that has so many like it's got music on there that's 60 beats per minute it's got heaps of recordings it's got downloads and it's got links to books and research and guided meditations and podcasts and all sorts of stuff that gives you heaps of information about how to reduce anxiety and to manage it so we'll i pop would a love, link to that we will pop yeah, a link yeah, to that I'd love to give your people yeah cool everyone <laughs> should go and get ali's resources it's life-changing i reckon mm, yeah absolutely Thanks, guys. Fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight. Love your work, Ali. Thanks, guys. Okay, bye now. For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life one small step at a time.